Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I talked to Gary Fisher the other day. Yes, I understand. You uh, sat down with the mustachioed one. I don't even know if he's mustachioed anymore. He, yep, yep. He's still waxing that stuff. Um, uh -huh, it's uh -huh. still all curly and, and, you know, natty and, you know, very cool. And, um, and did you receive all the wisdom of his ages? I doubt I received all of it, but man, he laid a lot of it on me. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was known for being a very fearsome competitor as a racer and in business. And, you know, not everybody was in love with him in the 80s and 90s. Mm. And age does something kind of lovely to us, I think. Some of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few of us. Anyway, it was it was so delightful. Um, we will uh, we will post a link to that. Um, uh, the interview will run at Electric Bike Report. Um, it wasn't actually for TCI, um, unfortunately. But yeah, we basically spent our time talking about e-bikes. And it's it's still a little bit mind boggling to me that. This guy who's done so much in mountain biking has it came up with so many revolutionary ideas. It's like, yep, I've I've done that. All I want now, e-bikes. It's it's neat. And, you know, the people he's working with, holy cow. When when Morel, Gary Fisher's new company, comes out with their first e-bike, people are gonna sit up and take notice. Huh. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, we're probably a, a year or so away from that, but he's at it. Yeah, it's really yeah, something. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we're doing something a little different this week, aren't we? Uh, yes, we are not talking about cycling as the first order of business. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that's an accurate way of putting it, I think. Yes, cycling becomes a co-star on this show. Yeah, uh, in, in which we discuss mental health struggles, uh, depression, maybe uh, its close cousin anxiety mm -hmm. a little, mm -hmm. um, and then how the bike fits in. Yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, well, take it away, buddy. Yeah, so so we've agreed we'll talk about mental health, depression, uh, because it's a thing we both struggle with. Hopefully at this point we've moved on from mental health awareness. Most people are now aware that mental health struggles are widespread, and the stigmas associated with needing help are fewer. Uh, obviously mm -hmm. they're still around, but ho hopefully they are less than they were uh, even five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I hope that means we can invest our time in talking about ways to address the real problems we have, not just wringing our hands about the fact that we have them. Yeah, well, I mean, at least in this forum, we get to do exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that a bit, but with specific emphasis on the bike and the ways riding has both helped and hindered progress with my depression. Hmm. Hindered. Uh, Interesting. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this, that's a surprise to me, too, but uh, when I examined my experience, I found it. So, first okay. I'll just describe my, my depression. I have okay. an official diagnosis of dysthemia, which is a catch-all for chronic low-grade depression. Mm -hmm. um, how low that grade is, I sometimes have a quibble. Uh, it seems <laughs> sometimes to be pretty high-grade, but anyway, I've had this my whole life, uh, beginning when I was about eight years old. Um, I really battled with it for years and years uh, until just after my kids were born, 
when basically I became entirely overwhelmed by life and stuck in a permanent misery, uh, <laughs> which manifested itself as a kind of detached despondency uh, coupled with rage. And, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. if you've got young kids around and you're the, the teamwork of parenting becomes super important, being detached, despondent, and in, intermittently enraged is unhelpful. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that doesn't get filed under constructive. No. Um, later, I find out, found out that anger uh, is typically in our society how men express sadness and pain. Uh, I may be in touch with that. Yeah. So at that point in my life, I began to I got help. I made I started to make phone calls. I started to reach out. I started to talk to people. I started to deal with it. My wife very gently said to me, is this really how you want to go through fatherhood? Mm -hmm. And we were not in a fight at the time. We were not Mm -hmm. having trouble at the time. She just sort of it was a nice moment because in a very concerned way, she said, is this really how you want to do it? Mm -hmm. Uh, To which the obvious reply was no. Um. The the bike comes into play with mental health treatment because exercise generally is ameliorative, you know, Mm -hmm. for all the things. It produces some of the neurotransmitters, the chemicals that counteract the imbalances that produce Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety and other issues. Uh, In terms of dopamine, uh, we know that long, hard rides, what one might call suffer sessions, actually have a sustained dopamine trail. That things like social media or sex or other like quick thrills don't have. Yeah. So the bike is a real refuge when I'm not feeling well. Um, the challenge is that when I'm in a bad spot, my motivate my I'm sorry, my motivation really takes a dive. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I want to I want to say a few things about that dynamic uh, because it shares some characteristics with addiction which is another one of my areas of uh, unexpected expertise. (laughs) Depression, like addiction, is a bit insidious because all the mental signals you're getting are to retreat. Mm. Mm -hmm. Don't tell anyone what you're feeling. Don't Mm. exert any unnecessary energy, etc. The disease that you have, in essence, wants to keep you in the disease state. This is the bit where we move on from awareness to strategy, I hope. Um, When I'm Mm -hmm. depressed, I've developed a number of levers I can pull to either feel better or at least move toward feeling better. Mm -hmm. One is the bike. Uh, It's free. It's easy. It's available. I just have to remember that even when I don't want to go ride, a ride will help. Yeah, yeah. The caveat here, the one I referenced a minute ago, is that hammering isn't usually the answer. Oh, oh, uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I have to ride, but I also have have to give myself the time and space to go easy. Yeah. Making myself more physically tired is seldom good for depression recovery. So the bike is important, but when you're desperate for help, sometimes you will go out and thrash yourself in a in a in a up uh what what i want to say a a grasping for catharsis Mm -hmm. uh and it actually yeah yeah and it actually will can set me back you're not the only one buddy yeah you are not the only one yeah uh another lever for me is medication i take an ssri uh it's basically a serotonin booster uh, mm-hmm. And that keeps my lows from going too low. Anyone who's concerned that, you know, uh, uh, antidepressant is going to make them feel like jubilant and high all the time. That has not been my that has not <laughs> been my expression, my experience. The medication I take, I, the way I explain it to people is when I'm depressed, I wake up at a negative 10, <laughs> if not worse. When I on when I am on my medication properly, I wake up at zero. I wake up neutral. The day can be positive or negative, but it's not prejudiced one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, medication might help some people. Just because it works for me doesn't mean it's a cure-all or it's right for everyone. I like to think of it as just one of the levers. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a big stigma, I think, still with meds. I get that. I only bring it up because there's the stigma. I'm not saying, you know, I don't say it's the panacea. I don't say it's this. It's just part of my strategy. And uh, my life goes much, much better with them than without them. I have tried both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, And the results are unequivocal that I can't do without them right now for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the Mm -hmm. times that I've tried. Talking helps me a lot, too. Um, That might be talk therapy, uh, Mm -hmm. which I've done, you know, with a counselor or in a group. uh, But more conventionally, I tell my wife and certain friends that I'm in a bad way. Mm -hmm. um, And getting it out of my head and into the open definitely helps. uh, And Mm -hmm. then those people can monitor me in a way that they might not normally. So that if my (laughs) behavior gets too funky, there's a safety net. Um, The great thing about having people who love you is that sometimes uh, when it's critical, they can love you. Uh, Love there being a verb, not a noun. Mm. Mm -hmm. So those are my three main levers. Um, There are others. uh, Meditation, uh, prayer, if that's your thing, psychedelics, uh, which we can talk about more. Uh, I'm not trying to be encyclopedic here. I'm just saying that at least for me, no one thing is the answer. Mm-hmm. I'd encourage anyone who's suffering to explore any option they can find just to put together a variety of tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, I have felt like life is pointless. I've, I've lost hope. I've been deep in the hole. I've contemplated ending my life. I know how bad it can feel. More than anything, I'd implore people who are struggling to begin trying things. Mm-hmm. Just suffering, just enduring uh, isn't ultimately noble or helpful uh it just hurts so i'd say i'd say get help and start to find your way out yeah you you know your use of the word noble there sparked something for me because i i don't know correct me if you think i'm wrong but anytime we choose noble i'm gonna be noble aren't we kind of already making the bad choice (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I, it seems to me that that's anytime I've thought to myself, I'm going to be noble and I, I, you know, thank gosh, I have not thought that all that many times. Uh, I don't see myself as a noble person, but my inclination is to think that anytime I did think, Oh, this is the noble thing to do. Uh, I was setting my own needs aside in a way that was not constructive. I think that's right. I think that is right. Um, Noble has positive connotations, but there is a self-sacrifice element that, especially around mental health, is definitely not productive. The way to go. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Very, very true. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm stuck. That's okay. We can just sit with this for a minute. I mean, I think, um, you know, the listeners are cyclists. Some of them will have experience with this. Some of them will have experience with anxiety. Almost all of them will already know that the bike is uh, a solution or a partial solution. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's one of its beautiful things. And I'm often uh, grateful that I had I have it in my life accidentally. Mm-hmm. I didn't say, oh, I'm depressed, so I'm going to go ride a bike. The bike was there already as a tool. Um, and I wonder how much worse my my days and nights could have been if I hadn't even had the bike. Uh, you know, I haven't been a sedentary person in my life, but I know that sedentariness, when I let it set in, is exacerbates whatever uh, negative mental health I experience. Yeah. Well, and that's another of the things that you you touched on, it, how um, there's this uh, uh, there's this cycle that we can get into get into where we're depressed and we don't go for a ride. So we get more depressed and we don't go for more rides mm-hmm. and turning that around. You know, I went through that last year, uh, January, February, December. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
November, March, April. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, uh, turning that around is not easy. No, Even when you're staring at it. Yeah, it's not easy. And that's why I wanted to bring up the piece about hammering. Because mm-hmm. when, I, when I do try to say, oh, I'm going to shake this thing off completely. I'm going to do a hard ride. Um, it, it will often set me back. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it will, um, it will cement this idea that in order to help myself, I have to work really hard. Uh-huh. Um, and that's not the case. S- gentle and steady is how we need to go. Um, or I shouldn't say that. It's how I need to go. I think that oftentimes we don't place enough value on the concept of gentle. Yeah. That that's not, uh, that's not a a working part of our vocabulary often enough. Yeah. I, prior to my personal work in graduate school, when I really began addressing my issues, I don't think gentle was a part of my vocabulary at all. It certainly wasn't part of my vocabulary in terms of how I looked at dealing with myself, how I treated myself or how I treated others. Yeah. Gentle just wasn't one of the words that I use. And that wasn't, you know, it didn't characterize how I treated anybody. And more and more, that's one of the stars that I steer by. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I talk with my friends quite a bit about how how patient we can be with others and how impatient we we are with ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was a real eye opener to me. Someone said to me, and this is this is trite, like people will have heard this before. But like someone said to me, if you talk to other people like you talk to yourself, you get punched in the face quite a bit. Um. And that's right. Not trite. Yeah. Not trite. Um, it's, it's so very true. Uh, and, you know, there's something about, you know, we say we can be gentle with others or patient with others. But somehow, to me, that feels like faux patience. It's not real patience, because unless you really know how to be gentle and patient with yourself, you don't really know how to do it to others. Or for others or with others. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I learned uh, in both addiction recovery and depression treatment was that um, you don't have to say everything that you think. And so for (laughs) a long time and still sometimes now, you know, when I'm in a bad place and I feel like lashing out, you know, to be impatient with my kids or whatever, what substitutes for patience is just quiet. Mm-hmm. Just keep your mouth shut. Uh, don't don't get your stuff on other people. And that doesn't that's not about, um, you know, not talking about what's going on with you. That's just not, you know, doling out your anger, your depression, your sadness to other folks, um, especially the ones you love. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, more and more, uh, you know, in the weeks that my boys are with me. In the evenings as I'm getting them, you know, steered toward bed, uh, I'm trying to take stock of my day and think about, you know, was there a point in there where I was maybe not as gentle with them as I could be? And, you know, as part of my good nights with them, I'll I'll take a moment, say, hey, you know, I was not awesome right in this moment. And I'm sorry about that. You know, you deserve my best effort. And that was not my best effort. And, you know, despite my actions, uh, I want to tell you, I love you. Uh, and that I think you're good people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do that with my kids as well. I think it's super important. Uh, I think kids want their emotional experience to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when we get our not them stuff all over them, they're like, what, what did I do? And then that begins a whole cycle of, their own negative self-esteem and all of this other stuff. So if you, if you can keep it in the day and say, that wasn't you, that was me. I mean, I think (laughs) that helps both of you. 
because then you're not carrying it around going forward. And they understand that, you know, dad has bad moments. Uh, dad, dad is fallible. And he's also willing to take responsibility for his mistakes. And that's big stuff. I, you know, if they can make it to adulthood with better self-esteem than I had. Yeah. Winning. Yeah. 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 Uh, one final thought regarding what you shared, uh, the going easy on the bike. You know, I often speak here of, you know, discharge versus recharge. Mm. And yeah, when I'm struggling uh, with my stuff, uh, recharge rides, I, I go out, I, I, I take the flat path to the flat bike path. Uh, and I, you know, it's a one hour out and back. It is a largely uninteresting, uh, route visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get some vineyards, so it's not terrible. Um, but you know, coming back from a bike ride with more in the tank than what I left with is, uh, pretty key. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, just getting ready for a ride event on Sunday. And so I've been doing, you know, recovery style rides, uh, Mm -hmm. just to keep the legs moving beforehand. And I was explaining to a friend of mine who hasn't done uh, an event like this. This will be his first event. I was explaining leg speed to him. Mm. I said, uh, you let, you just want to be riding on leg speed, which is the speed that your legs will go around without you seeming to try at all. So if we just well done. if we just well said. if we just go leg speed uh, out and back for an hour, will our legs will uh, be not depleted uh, and but they will remember what going around in circles is, and it's going to be great. And those are the kinds of rides I do when I'm depressed. Yeah. Yep. 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 Alrighty, we're going to take a break, and we'll uh, toy boat. We will be back in just a minute. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. It's your turn. To take a poll. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot with your poll. And with mine, I want to address a couple things that either don't get discussed much at all or are getting discussed and maybe not explained all that well. The first biggest thing I want to say about depression is that I believe as a culture, we have a really bad working definition of just what it is. Uh, I mean, for a lot of people, they think depression and they think, oh, somebody who can't get out of bed. Mm. And that's never been the case for me. Mm -hmm. And let me be clear. I have struggled with a dark disposition for most of my life. Um, And only recently did I begin to see my struggles through a new perspective on depression. Uh, For me, the bottom line is negative self-talk. That's that's like the least common denominator. Mm -hmm. And if that's happening, then I know I am in a space of depression. It might only be for five minutes. It could be for five hours. It could be for five months. But if I'm in a space of negative self-talk, I know that there needs to be some energy devoted to dealing with this. Uh, the meanest things people have said to me, And let me just acknowledge as a public figure whose work has been read by millions of people, a a number that still staggers my mind, I've had some nasty stuff said to me. Um, And none of that 
can compare to what I can do to myself. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it is, uh, it's the worst possible hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second guessing of past events, the not feeling accepted, the feeling like a failure. It's all of a piece, but I didn't think I was depressed for years and years because I was able to get up in the morning and go about my day. I didn't think that as long as I was functioning like an adult, I could also be depressed. Um, it turns out that what was a pretty good emotional state for me uh, counts as moderate depression for the entire rest of the world. Yeah. Um, that that was maybe the single most disconcerting wake up call of my entire life. Yeah. Thinking I, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I want to do some more work. I'm, I'm not bad. And you know, you find out you're, you're almost into, uh, uh, well, whatever you call it, deep depression. I don't know what, what's the next step past moderate. Yeah. Um, you know, firm, uh, <laughs> I, you know, that was, uh, finding out that, yeah, me in a pretty good place was moderately depressed. Ooh, yeah. that was, yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant when I said that I used to, you know, when pre-treatment, I would wake up at negative 10. I didn't even realize that was abnormal. I just thought that's what. This is just going to be another bad day. Yeah. 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 And the whole world is against me again today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next thing I want to share is how ready so many people are to listen. Some of the deepest connections I have with other people, uh, you dear sir, for one, uh, come from sharing our struggles. Uh, I think we tend to know instinctively who we can talk to, uh, even when we are afraid to open up, opening up to the right people can be a real way to honor them. I think we're all scared to share just what our demons look like. Uh, so when someone takes me into their trust and shares that with me, I take it as a remarkable statement of trust and I do all that I can to respect that and, and, you know, to hear them, to see, uh, to see them accurately, uh, in that experience. Um, and I think, you know, we, well, in some other fora, we discuss a lot about isolation mm -hmm. um, and a big piece of breaking depression is breaking isolation. Mm. And so, you know, no matter who it is, if you're sharing what's going on with someone else, that's a first step out of isolation. I agree. A really key one. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've shared about my work with psychedelics. Uh, and I have a little update on that. Um, very recently, I began visiting a clinic that administers ketamine via IV rather than my previous modes of delivery, lozenges or intramuscular injection. The experience is different in some rather significant ways. But one of the most important is how much more, here's that word again, gentle this experience is uh with an injection you are you are shot up into outer space uh with all due haste <laughs> um and the the altitude that you reach uh can can get to be pretty weird it's it's still therapeutic um but some of those moments can be uh, difficult, even, even when they're not unpleasant, it can just be kind of a lot difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and you know, the anesthesiologist I worked with, uh, you know, he, he actually mirrored, uh, my metaphors and he said, this is much more like a plane. You know, you get up to 30 or 40 or 50,000 feet of cruising altitude and you stay there. And then when the drip ends, you're gliding in. You're not coming back down, trying to figure out when to open the chute. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm coming off uh, a treatment last night. Um, so counseling, ketamine administration, more counseling. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, to anyone who still worries that this is just a legal way to get high, um, I would like to hereby disabuse you of that idea. This is not recreational, even a little bit. Um, I'm today. I am a little raw, um, a little, you know, a little sensitive to touch. Um, it's, it's good. You know, this passes, um, but it's deep investigative work. Uh, but it has absolutely revolutionized my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a, you know, I'm still the same dude, but I am in a much, much healthier place. Mm-hmm. And I, for all the talk counseling I did over the years, uh, I never came close to getting at some of the stuff that I've been able to accomplish with the help of ketamine. I mean, it continues to surprise me. And let's just say I was straight edge before they had a term for it. Um, I was, (laughs) it was in investigating the neuroscience of flow that I began to better understand how neurotransmitters like dopamine and norepinephrine work, uh, serotonin as well, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to see past the moralizing of what has largely come from our government. Uh, the more I read, the more I see that what we consider acceptable versus bad has nothing to do with science. You know, refined sugar, that's a drug. <laughs> Nicotine, that's a drug. Caffeine, that's a drug. Alcohol, that's a drug. You know, the way they alter consciousness really is only, you know, it's, it's different in kind, but not in fundamental concept. They all alter consciousness, mm-hmm. just as THC does. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to begin to see those equivalencies and see them freed of cultural constraints you know maybe that doesn't do anything for some folks it was it was really key for me uh and you know i'll try not to continue off on a tangent but it's worth noting that the difference between adderall one of the most frequently prescribed pharmaceuticals for adhd and methamphetamine is minuscule uh there is a difference between the two at the molecular level Uh, but the way they work on the brain is almost identical. You know, what really changes is the dosage level. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I mean, really the bigger difference is one is illegal and I'm not entirely sure why, uh, I share this not to endorse meth. (laughs) That's not what's going to go on here, but, uh, you know, I want to say that anyone struggling with either anxiety or depression If talking about your problems didn't solve your problems, which was the case for me, uh, psychedelics, despite what you've heard about dirty hippies in the 1960s, uh, they do really have an ability to change how we see our own lives and what our value is. Um, To give everyone uh, an indication of just how deeply they've helped me heal. So, Prior to beginning my counseling with ketamine, my father and I were completely estranged. We were not talking. Uh, working uh, with me, uh, working uh, in counseling me with ketamine, got me to a place, uh, actually in only two treatments, uh, where I was able to forgive him and begin building a bridge. Uh, when he passed last fall, he and I were at peace and he left this world knowing he was loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and <sighs> yeah, those treatments, they can be hard. Uh, it's again, not recreational, but the difference they've made for me has been truly remarkable. Um, yeah, very helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's good to, to, um, lessen the stigma around those treatments i i want to uh just sort of restate that you know like ketamine might not be for everyone oh yeah almost certainly not yeah uh none of the none of the therapies none of the i mean i've been 12 step 
uh, cycles and I've been, you know, I've done a lot of different things. Some of them helped enormously, some of them helped modestly, some of them didn't help at all. Some I still do, some I don't do anymore. I, the, the overarching point I want to do, I want to get across is, uh, number one, never stop riding your bike. Uh, but, but number two, you know, don't be afraid to, to just try a thing, see how it works and move on and don't lose hope. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, like antidepressants have worked for me, but some people get on them. They don't work very well and it's, it becomes problematic, but it's okay. The, that's not the thing that you need. You just have to find the next thing and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had treatment resistant depression. And while I hadn't tried a bunch of different antidepressants, um, I'm on an SNRI, the one you previously took, I believe, Wellbutrin. Yes. Um, and it has uh, it has helped build a well of patients where one might not otherwise be it. Uh, I think you said it made the fuse longer. <laughs> Or gave you a fuse where there wasn't one. Yeah, I initially started taking it uh, when a therapist, well, I told the therapist that I had this tendency to fly into rages. Um, and while those rages were directed at myself and not at other people, apparently that uh, troubled her. So she she put me on the, a Wellbutrin, which didn't agree with me physically. But mm. um, but finding that longer fuse, however you have to find it, I think is important. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I want to return to one other uh, point that we were discussing earlier uh, about the bike. What are the chances that for you, part of what drew you into the bike was an unconscious understanding that it was giving you essentially an antidepressant uh, where, you know, you weren't otherwise taking one. It was helping solve problems in a way that you weren't getting at it in any other way. I think that is spot on. I think even now, if I think about how I feel when I don't feel well, it's that I feel trapped. Mm -hmm. I feel trapped in my existence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it has always been the case and that very little has addressed that feeling better than the bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be uh, hemmed in by my work. I don't like to be hemmed in by my relationships, which which doesn't mean I don't take them seriously. You know, it's, it's not I don't blow off picking the kids up from where, where places because I, <laughs> I resent the responsibility. But, you know, over time, all of the all of life's stuff builds up and you can feel drowned in it and nothing helps me. And I think you're right. I think even when I was a kid, I felt that way and responded intuitively to the bike like, yeah. <laughs> and, and both on a conscious level of like, oh, I'm free. This is fun. And an unconscious <laughs> level, which was making the chemicals that I needed. Yeah. Uh, so often when I was in graduate school, I mean, there were there were books that I had to read that were uh, uh, not especially entertaining. Mm. You know, Edmund Spencer, that's a slog. Yeah, uh, that's like thigh deep mud. Um, and the only way I could read Spencer was after a hard ride. Interesting. It, it, you know, that was more an ADD than, than a, uh, than a depression thing. But, you know, I had to chill my body out so that my my mind could really focus on that reading. And there were any number of books like that in grad school where once I'd had a hard ride, I knew I could come back and, and do that studying and get through it and make sense of it. And if I tried to do that same reading, you know, an hour before a ride, that was not going to happen. It was not going to work. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I think it's funny what works. Um, you know, I know tenured faculty uh, who are friends of mine who are potheads uh, who wrote their mm -hmm. dissertation high because it's the only way they could find the focus to do it. Now, that would ruin mm -hmm. me. I, you know, I, I start to worry about the imperfections in the paint on the wall when I'm high, which is why I haven't, which is why I haven't done that in more than 30 years now. But, but, uh, and that speaks really to like what different strokes for different folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And I think, I think the ADD thing is a good point. Like now I don't think it's a mystery that I prefer to ride in the morning. 
because it settles my mind to be useful the rest of the day. You know, if I don't do it, like on all, almost all of my rest days are uncomfortable days because I, my mind is too busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's something that was one of the things I gave up in leaving Southern California that was not, uh, especially beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, that also begets one more, yet one more, and we could do this all day, but yet one more thing I want to say is that, you know, I have, I have, uh, attention deficit and I have depression and I have addiction and you could hear that and think, well, geez, this guy's got a pretty rough hand, uh, to play. But each of those things for all their negative connotations, I think also has some really, um, positive outcomes. <laughs> Um, uh, my ADD mind is, uh, fast, uh, and it's creative. Uh, yep. my depressed mind is funny <laughs> because often in the depths of despair, like the only thing left is humor. Uh, mm -hmm. uh and so that happens and, you know, uh, the addiction thing helps me, uh, you know, I can be maniacal about positive things as well. So often we, we sort of like, we'll either feel sorry for ourselves or we will, uh, think, oh, this person has some serious problems, but you know, the, the script is flippable, uh, and the way our minds work, even when they are, um, challenged can be pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, the way the bike helps me to address all of the things that are challenging about me. Uh, it's sort of miraculous. Um, it, you know, a few years back when I was working on that feature for bicycling, the science of we, um, and I was chasing, you know, the, the more cycling specific aspects of flow. Uh, I talked to a neuroscientist, uh, Leslie Sherlin, and one of the things that he said about flow that really stayed with me was that, you know, if we could, if we could package that and put it in a pill, we wouldn't need any of the other antidepressants. That one would just, that would have it knocked for everybody. Yeah. It would be the perfect antidepressant. And we get that with the bike. Well, I think that, uh, and again, we could go on and on and on. But I think that's 100% right. So many times I go out on the bike looking for that flow, looking for that thing, because I desperately want it needed. And it makes me feel better and feel good about the world and makes me feel hopeful and all of that stuff. But as we both know, it's not, you can get better at finding it, but it's not always there. Not quite always yeah. there. Yeah. Well, that's why uh, Stephen Kotler, uh, who's arguably the world's foremost authority on flow at this point, you know, he speaks in terms of hacking flow. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's when you look directly at it, it's not there. <laughs> you can only catch it out the side of your eye. Right. You know, right. it's only ever in your peripheral vision. And, you know, the, the moment I stop trying to find flow and give up, is usually about the time I start to find it. That's funny. I have a term for that, which I call riding to the ride. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. We're riding right now, but we're not at the ride yet. The ride will begin to happen. I'm not exactly sure when. I just know that we have to ride to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a true story. Yes. Yeah. Well done, sir. Thank you. All righty. Um, well, eh, you know, I'm happy to say the horse is not dead. We may have beaten it some, but it's not dead. So uh, we can move on and, and be happy about that. Yeah. Uh, how about a paceline pick? I've got a paceline pick. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of times I try to match my, my paceline picks to my polls, but today I'm not going to be picking an antidepressant. I'm picking instead uh, <laughs> a, a book. We are still in spring classic season. Uh, Amstel Gold is coming up this weekend. Flesh Wallonie is after that. And then uh, Liege Baston Liege. Uh, those are all coming up. So I want to highlight a book that... Uh, uh, Mickey Vukovic uh, reviewed for the website last summer, and it's The Monuments mm -hmm. by Peter Cossens. 
Um, it's at this point I confess to you a thing you probably already guessed from some of my picks and posts lately. I've kind of caught the pro road racing bug again. You have? Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I envy you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a certain suspension of disbelief that goes along with it, but I am really <laughs> enjoying these weekends with the women's race Saturday and the men's race on Sunday. And there are so many good stories on both sides, like Allison Jackson's win at Roubaix last week, or the mm-hmm. array of wins the Jumbo Visma men have bagged uh, through various mm-hmm. riders. It's so cool. Um, look, all these races have amazing history, geography, drama, uh, everything you want in a sports story. Um, so the monuments illuminate some of these races, and I think it's a real modern classic, excuse the pun. It's a book that should be a cornerstone of the cycling canon, like Graham Fife's History of the Tour or Matt Rendell's uh, Death of Marco Pantani. It's one of those books. Mm. It's like once you weed out just the stuff, it's, it's one of the ones left on the shelf because it, it has the goods. Mm. I'd, ref- mm. I'd refer anybody who wants to learn more to Mickey's review. Um, uh, we'll add a link in the notes. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, uh, you know, one of us has to do something related to our polls. Uh, my pick this week is something that has helped me with both nerve pain and anxiety. Uh, they are Floyd's of Leadville full spectrum CBD gems um, because they are THC free. Um, they don't count as getting high. So there's that. But they more importantly, they can be sh- shipped to all 50 states. So uh, this won't be a surprise after what we've been discussing, but my nervous system is, shall we say, reactive. Uh, I deal with recurring nerve pain when road riding as a result of spinal stenosis and too many thousands of miles on the road bike over the years. For anyone who deals with nerve impingement or other nerve pain, which can be a burning or a stabbing pain, these things are definitely helpful. Uh, I've previously reviewed the sports balm, which I'll rub on painful spots post-ride, but I've taken to eating one of these little gems prior to, uh, pun intended, uh, prior to a ride, and I've found they've helped keep the pain at bay for a while. The shoulder pain begins later in the ride if I eat one of these about an hour before I head out. Um, certainly it's not indefinitely, um, it can't completely prevent the pain, but it dials back the volume mm. and I'll take that every day of the week. Um, they are also pretty good for free floating anxiety. Uh, if I'm going someplace where I know things could get difficult for me, uh, I'll often eat one of these before heading out. Uh, mm. the effect is very subtle. Okay. It's not like getting stoned or something. Uh, but I notice it takes more to make me anxious. Uh, it takes about an hour to take effect. Um, and unlike Zoloft or some <laughs> other drugs that work on the central nervous system, uh, these CBD gems are not addictive and are out of the system pretty quickly. You don't have to titrate off of them, uh, which I see as a real plus. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, they come in 10 milligram. 25 milligram and 50 milligram doses. I'm fond of the 25s. Uh, And then they are sold in single serve packs, 10 count and 30 count packs. Flavors include include green apple, blue raspberry. I I like the green apple a lot. Uh, Cola, which I really like a whole lot. And the one I had this morning, cotton candy, which is kind of sweetly fun, funly sweet. Um, yeah, it's, it's novel prices range from a buck 99 for the single serves, uh, some of the single serves up to $45 for some of the 30 count packs. Um, yeah, good stuff. I'm, I'm a believer. All right. Yeah. Alrighty. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, what are some of the other tidbits we've got coming up on TCI the rest of this week? Um, we have... Uh, a new Ask Stevel coming out next week. Uh, we have a pretty crazy video feature that will be up tomorrow. Um, 
Our, our friend John Rizel has been helping with some editing, so uh, some of the th- things next week will be better than they would have been otherwise, uh, including... <laughs> Not, not including his piece, which is always pretty good, um, but some of my stuff. And yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Very cool. And uh, we're going to drop another episode of The Long Way Home in the Paceline feed. So don't be alarmed when you find something extra in there. Uh, I just want to give folks a little sense of uh, how broad a range of stuff we're covering. Uh, this episode will be. Uh, a feature that I wrote for Peloton magazine about Eddie Merckx's greatest season uh, in his career, 1972, uh, a year on which you could have a very satisfying career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just one year out of it. And I believe uh, there was a fantastic Bill Cass illustration uh, yes. about that year as well. Yes. Yes, very much. Uh, we will we will post that as well. Um, and who knows? Maybe uh, I've still got some of those RKP T-shirts. Maybe we put some of those back on sale. Oh, very definitely. I need a new one. Mine, mm. mine is now moth. Oh, I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. This is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead. Click that button now and send us some questions, please. We love answering questions. If you've got an idea, uh, suggestion complaint drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments also if you haven't already check out our other podcasts revolting which lives up to its name uh in some ways but is highly entertaining and uh this is what number episode number six of the long way home that uh will be dropped in the feed uh and it features written work read by the author more audible than fresh air um maybe considering leaving a review wherever it is you found us it makes it more likely other people will listen in and as always constructive criticism accepted until next week i'm patrick brady with john lewis thanks for listening to the pace line (laughs) 